good morning. This is Radio Shalom coming to you through Planet FM 104.6. Shalom, Rabbi Altshul. Shalom, John. Well, we've gone through the Jewish life cycle, and now we've come to the biggest mystery of all, the one where we have questions that can never be answered. So, Rabbi, today we're going to talk about Jewish customs, beliefs around death. Oh, I thought we were going to talk about women. Uh, <laughs> I've been told not to keep on teasing you about women. <laughs> oh, good. Thank you. Well, we're just just the enigma of them is just as big as the enigma of death, so <laughs> no, I, should, I shouldn't be as morbid as that. Um, well, of course, you know, the old pun says that there are only two things we can, we can um, be sure about in life, and one of them is taxes and the other one is death. And obviously also death plays a monumental role in Jewish ritual life. Uh, I think um, Jewish religion has um, completely, um, should we say, made a ritual out of death and mourning uh, in such a way that modern psychology looks to it with admiration and saying, how brilliant that it allows people to go through this whole structure and allowing them to um, get into the grief, to experience grief, to be in grief, uh, and then slowly bringing them back to the world of the living. It's a whole long process, uh, the whole death and mourning in, in, in Jewish life. And it's and there in, to it, help one? It is there to help the individual with managing those very, very strong feelings that we all experience when we suffer a loss. Um, modern society has a tendency to make a way with um, the ickiness of death. You know, uh, ooh, we can't take those strong feelings of loss and of grief and we try to put them under the carpet, but... They're just kept there to ferment and most know that they will explode at a later time in life, causing maybe even greater disturbance than if dealt with and if not harnessed, but if ventured into and experienced at the correct time, which is obviously at the time that they occur naturally. It's also a time, um, I think, where it's taken for granted that the community comes around you the congregation comes around you to support you. Well, You're li- not left by yourself. No, I'm a little bit sad to say that my own community in particular are unfortunately very, very good at that. Uh, they're not so good at celebrating the happy occasions and the <laughs> holidays and all of those things that we've also spoken about, Joan. But when it comes to bereavement, they are indeed a beautiful and caring community who comes in very, very supportive of those in that most difficult situation. But let's begin at the beginning, or rather end with the, begin with the end, because what is it that happens? Um, we have the firm belief that a human being is a combination of body and soul. Who said? Who said? Well, if you read the Genesis... Uh, you will come to understand that the human body is fashioned from the ground. That might be a euphemism, but mm-hmm. the flesh itself is certainly fashioned from the same minerals and uh, compounds that can yeah. be found in dirt and in the ground. So therefore, it's not far away to 
say that, well, we were made from the ground, made from the dust. Um, and then, as Genesis explains, God breathed his, his, his breath into it, breathed his breath into it, and that is the soul. The combination of earthly matter with divine spirituality to some, some extent, if I might dare such a, such a, use such a, an expression, that is the marriage that takes place in the human body. Now, when this coupling or when this partnership comes to an end, the soul leaves its canister, its body, and goes back to the God who gave it, and the body returns to the earth as it was. And that's why we believe in burial and not in in cremation? No, that's a yes and no, but that's a little bit different story. Now, I would, before I get there, let me just continue a little bit down the line on what then happens when a person draws his or her last breath. The soul leaves the body. What do we then do? Because this is where ritual starts. We open the window, if we can, so that the soul may leave through a passage. If not, you know, it'd be walking the corridors to find a way out. Um, we light a candle as a sign of memorial, and we direct the deceased person's feet towards the door. Now, why towards the door? Well, it's a firm belief that the anointed of the Almighty will come one day and set his people free and bring us all back, even those who've died. And that means that they'll be walking to Israel. And to give people the best start, any dead person mm -hmm. is put with his feet or her feet towards the wall, uh, the, the, door. Do the door. Now, in many communities, it's also uh, custom to place the deceased on the floor as that is the closest place to the ground where the pe person needs to go or where the body needs to go, at least. Now, in Judaism, we are very concerned because the body without the soul is one of the most holy things that is found, if at all, not the holiest thing found in this world. A deceased, the corpse, um, is a very, very holy canister of that divine soul which has gone back to, to the creator. And we strive to treat it with the greatest dignity. One might say, well, putting on the ground is not very dignified, but it is in the way that we want as fast as possible to bury this person. That's also why that we are not in favour of autopsies. We're not in favour of uh, doing anything to the body uh, before sending it off. Or oh, that's not true, really. Because what we do is, as fast as we can, the person is taken to the place where Tahara is done. And Tahara is done by um, the Cheva Kedisha. Cheva Kedisha is an Aramaic word that means the Holy Brotherhood. And it's also a sisterhood, Joan because it consists of a male department and a female department, and each group look after their own kind. Um, so when a Jewish lady dies, she's looked after by Jewish ladies. When a Jewish male dies, he's looked after by Jewish males. Now, the body is then taken to the Tahara house, uh, or the place where the Tahara is performed. Uh, the person is gently washed uh, poured over with uh, a ritually described amount of water and then groomed. 
dried and groomed so the nails are nicely done, um, the hair is combed and carefully uh, put in order and everything is done very dignified. And then the body is put into what is called tachichin, which are white garbs. And men have a costume and women have a costume. For the men, it's pair. it differs a little bit from uh, country to country, uh, but very often it will be pants, uh, white sock shoes, sort of, um, a shirt, a little cravat, and a hat. Uh, and ladies have a ladies' garb, somewhat of the same kind, but beautiful white clothes which are hand-stitched, uh, very often made by ladies over uh, who've passed menopause uh, as a holy duty. We get most of our tachim either from Israel or from uh, Australia, where a group of ladies sew these clothes. Now, the person is now placed in a coffin, or rather not the person, because it's only the body that we have there. Um, a few uh, prayers are said at the time. Um, and the person is then placed in a coffin. We use a simple, non-ornamented wooden coffin, very often just made out of plywood, um, because we're of the firm belief that we enter naked into this world, and just as naked as we were the day we were born, even though they put on those beautiful white shrouds on us, we leave naked. Our hands are as empty as when we came. As a, a Jewish, uh, the Gemara says that a baby comes in with cleansed fish into this world. You know, the little baby, when they come in, they have like cleansed fish, fists, like saying, this whole world is mine. But when a person leaves this world, their hands are open as to say, I will take nothing with me. And then, as fast as we can, we proceed to the burial grounds and bury this person. Psalms are read. Uh, special memorial prayers are said, uh, the special Kaddish prayer also is said at the graveside, and the grave is filled in. And filling in the grave is considered one of those very, very special mitzvot, one of those special deeds of loving kindness which can be done, because it is the only deed for which there is no reward whatsoever. Nobody can come back and write you a check or say thank you. So we... Every single person present helps to fill in the grave if they want to. It's a very heavy duty. So those who are able, capable, they pick up a shovel and they help fill in the grave. And that's the funeral. Now, um, what then happens after uh, is described by halakha because the most of the funeral ritual is what about the washing of the hands well that's when we leave the burial ground we wash our hands as not to take death There's, there are many traditions also many of them described in Jewish law for example it's not appropriate to take a child to the burial ground why? well because children are so full of life and those who lie there sleeping in the dirt they might envy this child of all its life and we know that the soul sometimes comes back to check that the body is there. Because we believe in the resurrection of the dead and the time the Messiah will come. And that is why we don't condone um, burning. It's because we need the body when the Messiah comes. So it should sleep. That's also why everywhere in the world the Jewish burial grounds are forever. You buy your plot. 
one joked once that he would want he boarded when he was 40 he could have had 80 years or sorry yeah well 40 years of carrots growing there on all that land <laughs> i suggested it might not have been a good taste but he said you know he missed the the crop um but be that as it may um that's the reason why we don't burn or cremate um is because of that belief in the return of the body with the soul uh, at the coming of the Messiah, the resurrection of the dead. Um, so when we leave the burial ground, we wash our hands ritually. And many have the custom also of picking a little bit of grass and throwing it over the shoulder to remind ourselves, we come also from dust. Just as those that we have just seen off to the dust, we too come from dust and will return to dust at some stage unless the messiah of course comes beforehand then uh, then we can start walking that's also why in in in, in um auckland if you go visiting the the jewish burial ground at least the the orthodox section um on the old section out of white committee um the graves are in one direction with the heads in one day, or heads and feet in one direction. And on the other side of the, the cemetery, where there is another chapter, um, the bodies are in the complete opposite direction, as opposed to the Christian tradition, where everybody is buried uh, head to the east, feet to the west. Um, now, why is that? Again, we place people in the grave with their feet towards the gate. Now, in the one chapter of the cemetery, the gate is in that direction, and and the other chapter, it's in the other direction. And because they should have the shortest walk whenever they rise, we place people with the feet towards the door. And that's why people sometimes, um, non-Jews ask me, why do you Jews bury in all different kinds of directions? Why don't you just east-west? And I said, we need the closest way to the door. <laughs> we need to be able escape. to go whenever, well, not escape, but we need to, whenever redemption comes, we need to be ready, ready. to go. Right. Now, of course, mourning is also very ritualized. A person, we mourn for the seven immediate relatives, which are father, mother, brother, sister, son, daughter, and partner, uh, spouse. And for those, there are very clearly described patterns of mourning. Some make a lot of sense, some make less sense or might be considered harder, but nonetheless, they have put there, been put there for, I think, good reasons. We mourn these sevens, but it's important to remember that before the burial itself, a person is described as what is called an onen. An onen is not obliged to follow any of the positive commandments, only the negative commandments. So if you're an onen, you're not allowed to eat pork, but you're certainly allowed to skip your prayers because... Eating pork is a negative commandment, but praying is a positive commandment. And a person, an onen, is allowed to do all the things that are related to looking after the burial service. So making arrangements with the undertaker, with the chavakadisha, going this and that. But the second the grave has been closed, the person changes from an onen to an avel. And for the avel... The rules are different. You go to your house and you sit down. 
You get a first meal served to you by your neighbors, your families. You're not allowed to eat from your own. You should have a meal of mourning as the first meal served by somebody else. You don't sit on your comfortable sofa. You sit on this low stool or you take the cushions out of the sofa sitting no higher than 30 centimeters. Take off your leather shoes. You walk around in socks. In uh, my old rabbi's house, my teacher, um, where I grew up, my mom, you know, my mom would say, take your shoes off when you walk in his house. But my old Rolf, he would always say when I came to his house and took off my shoes, he says, what is this you're doing? Am I dead already? <laughs> Walking around this sucks is something you do when, you, when you're in mourning. Also, for the first seven days, which is called Shiva, Shiva means seven, um, the first seven days of mourning, you are not preoccupied with your personal appearance. You don't shower. You cover all the mirrors of the house. I remember that. You do all those things because it's not about how you look. And also one of the things that happens is that people come and pay their respects. I was told the mirrors were closed so you couldn't see your, your face and the grief. That's another thing, but it's more like, you know, vanity has a tendency of drawing us away from this world and, and from what we're in. It has. And, and what the seven days of Shiva intended to do is really to allow you to soak in the morning. It's also why when you visit somebody at a shiva, you don't ask them, how are you? You don't say shalom. Why? Because it's obvious they've just lost somebody whom they cared and loved. And so they're not in a good place. Why do you wish them long life? Well, we wish everybody a long life because that's basically what we want, a long life and good health, that everybody should live to high age, 120 if we must merit, just as Moses, our teacher if we may merit such a, an honour um, we wish them a long life because we don't want death upon anybody and that's also why at, at a funeral, normally we don't shake hands and say shalom we don't, shalom is a question of shleimut, you ask a person shalom both means peace but it also means how at peace with yourself are you and shalem which is the same word, means complete. So it really means, how complete do you feel? We don't ask people for their completeness, so to speak, (laughs) at a funeral. Rather, we use a um, Yiddish term, uh, which in its shortest form is just simchus. People come up to you and they say simchus. Don't shaking hands, just nodding, going simchus. You say, why do they say simchus? Simchus, simcha, is happiness. You're at a funeral. That's a strange thing. And it comes from the Yiddish expression that we saw not Zainu of Semchus, that we should see each other only for happy occasions. It's a pious wish that we would not have to meet at the burial grounds. Please God that we should not do so. But it is a fact of life that we do it. But we, as Jews, trying to just get the positive out of everything, saying... Please, God, next time, maybe for a bat mitzvah, a bar mitzvah, a wedding, a bris mila, a, a simchat bat, that, that it should be one of those instead of meeting here amongst the stones and those who sleep. So, shiva, we sit for seven days and people come and pay their respects. And we sit shiva for father, mother, brother, sister, son, daughter, God forbid, or our spouses. 
And then after seven days, we rise up. Men normally don't shave their beard, or they shouldn't, unless they really have to. They shouldn't go to work. You really, really have to. Then after three days, you can go to work. But it's better if you can work from home. And there are a lot of uh, regulations and rules. But the seven days are there so you can really soak in the morning. So you can feel it and you can let yourself go and not worry about worldly things. You've just, you know, it's like having a limb ripped off. You're going to have pains if your arm gets ripped off, Joan. The same with your soul. Another soul which was so close to yours has just been torn away. You've got an open wound. And of course, you can sedate the pain with, pan, uh, with Panadol and whatever. If it's an arm, you get rid of it. It's normally not enough. And there will always be that pain. And that is what the Shiva is there for. To feel the pain. To get through it. Not to bury it together with the coffin, not to put it away and forget about it, because it's natural. Yes, it hurts, but it's very, very natural. And then after seven days, we open up a little bit to worldly life. Many return to work, but there are still things you don't do. Um, for a father and mother, a, uh, you, you mourn for all of 12 months, but for a brother-sister... For a child or for a spouse, you only mourn for one month. Uh, the mourning ritual is only one month. You could ask yourself, why? Well, it's because with a spouse, yes, you could go out and find somebody else. I mean, it depends on when it is in life. Brother, sister, well, you know, you could pray that your father, mother and father would get back in the game. You know, these are all rationalizations after the fact. I'm not saying that they're taking away the, the hurt. But a father and mother, they're irreplaceable. So for them, we mourn 12 months. But after seven days, we stand up from the shiver. And we never keep a full seven days. Part of a day is considered as all of the day. So normally, people stand up from shiver on the seventh day. And then they return a little bit to life. But they don't go to simchas, for example. They don't go to the bar mitzvahs or the weddings or this and that. It's not appropriate. Men still don't cut their beard. There are still regulations. You put on shoes and you go out into the world. But there are still... And this is sort of... You've got the seven very heavy days. Then you've got the 30 days which are, well, still sleep some, someone in mourning, but which is opening up to the world. And then after the 30-day period, after the Shloshim, you return to life completely, almost. Because for a father and mother... You don't go to the weddings. You don't go to the simchas. You don't go out and enjoy music in, 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 in that way for the full 12 months after their passing. And for male, it's incumbent upon them to say the Kaddish prayer, um, as I believe that grief is uh, uniform to men and women. I often also encourage my female congregants to say Kaddish as much as, I can, as they can, uh, um, whether they have a brother or not, it doesn't really matter. I think uh, it's a very cathartic uh, exercise to read the Kaddish prayer. Um, the Kaddish prayer, which is not really a prayer about death. The Kaddish prayer is a prayer about the greatness of God and um, the greatness of life uh, and of creation. It is a celebration, really, much more than it is a sad prayer. And it's there to remind us that in our 
anger. You know, sometimes when we lose something, we get angry. And it's there to remind us it's not always for us to murmur at the at the judgment that God passes upon this this earth. We should rather be preoccupied with the great miracle it is to be present in life and continue. And the Kaddish prayer then also, of course, creates a bridge, a spiritual bridge between those beloved ones that have left for the other side and us. And I also remember the having torn clothes. Oh, but that's that's just prior to the funeral service where we do the Kriya. Oh, sorry, I forgot that completely. The Kriya is done as a physical expression of our anger, of our loss. We tear the garment. You know, we Jews, we like to physically manifest things in the world. And you feel that grief, you feel that sorrow, you feel that loss. And you know how sometimes you are so angry that you could break something. So you tear it. So we tear our garments. Mm-hmm. And we wear that talking garment for the seven-day period. I remember uh, the friend not going to the cinema for a year, not yes. listening to music. Yes. Uh, it was a long year. It was a very long year. <laughs> I mean, there are different uh, opinions on, for example, listening to recorded music at home. Um, today, modern day, there are uh, modern opinions to say that it's not so bad. But going out to a concert, definitely not. Yeah. But listening to recorded yeah. music at home is a little bit different. Yeah. If it's classical, it depends also what it is, and there are many different opinions on that, yeah. rhythmically. The other thing that I wondered about when you spoke about the body being holy, but what of those of us who have left, uh, become organ donors? Well, there are many opinions on that. And again, this is, this is uh, somewhere where, uh, where the um, rabbis differ. I'm a halachic organ donor. And, uh, what co- does that mean? Well, that's, that, what does that mean? That means that I have uh, chosen to donate my organs in case that they're usable for anything um, according, in accordance with the rabbinical interpretations that I follow. So I have a little card in my wallet that says, please contact Rabbi so-and-so and he will tell you what you can do. Right. Because if it's about saving another human being's life, no matter what that human being is, then, you know, saving a life is saving a whole world, as the Yerushalmi says. And that is the greatest, greatest thing you can do. Um, there are things, the, the whole discussion in Judaism is whether it's heart se- uh, cessation or brainstem death. And that's a medical discussion which it would take much more time to discuss. But according to some a large majority of, of modern Orthodox rabbi, the brainstem death criteria is accepted as death and you're allowed to donate some of your organs. But it's very, very complicated and it's something that you would have to talk to your own rabbi about <laughs> <laughs> and in, 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 in that case. But there is a something called HODS, which is Halachic Organ Donor Society. It's an American organization. Does that mean the psychotist to take it? Hmm? Does that mean a psychotist to take no, it? No, no, no. That's <laughs> <Shalom. laughs> all Thompson. Joan. <laughs> Mischievous. Well, is, is there... Is there... Uh, you know, you, you say you, you say Kaddish, and I think even for people who have left Judaism 
or, or not, so being Jewish but not practiced. Um, I have a friend who was like that, but when she died, she wanted somebody to say Kaddish. I think that's a very natural... It's, it's one of those things that, that, that really remain and keep us there. It's, uh, people come back, people who have been so far away, they come back and say Kaddish for a year for their parents. And then that becomes their entry gate back into Judaism. And that's a fantastic story. So that's the importance of, of important. something which is part of your DNA. I think so. Well, I, th- I think it's, it's difficult and it's hard to know what to say, but the fact that you can say, I wish you long life, yes. gives you a, a phrase. I wish you a long life in good health. Or as they said in the old land, sei gesund und stark. <laughs> Uh, thank you very much, Rabbi, and um, thank you for listening. Don't forget to listen next Sunday at ten past ten, when, if all goes well, Mike will be playing some Israeli music for you to enjoy. And if you've missed this program, you can go to www.planetaudio.org.nz forward slash Radio Shalom.